0: So I want you to help me welcome uh, a friend, a mentor, a member in good standing of Alcoholics Anonymous, and a member of good standing of the Preston Group of Dallas, Texas, David A. Hi, everybody. My name's David A. and I'm an alcoholic. And only because of God's grace, the miracle of Alcoholics Anonymous, I have not found it necessary to, nor have I taken a drink of an alcoholic nature. since April the 20th, 1967, and for this I am so thankful. My role this afternoon will be to share AA's experience in our 12 Steps of Recovery, and this member of Alcoholics Anonymous' experience in the recovery program. We need to remind ourselves at all times that no human being in Alcoholics Anonymous speaks for A as a whole. No one has been so designated, no one has been so appointed, no one has been so elected, no one has been so chosen. All we have is to talk about what it used to be like, what happened, what it's like now. Also in Alcoholics Anonymous, we're asked to share our experiences, not our opinions. Because we find as a result of our experiences in Alcoholics Anonymous that opinions in many, many instances have a tendency to make sick people sicker and in some instances to physically kill people. No one in Alcoholics Anonymous has the right to monkey with anybody's emotions, anybody's head, anybody's sex life, or anything else, financial, legal, doesn't make a better difference. And if we are willing to do that, and then that puts the burden on those who come to Alcoholics Anonymous. And we have to remember that when they read a portion of chapter 5, when <clears throat> it says, If you decide you want what we have and are willing to go to any length to get it, and you're ready to take certain steps. Not necessarily what we have, us members, right here in this meeting. But if you decide you want what the drunks put in the book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Period. Then you're ready to take certain steps. Now we come to find out that the Twelve Steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, for us in AA, not for any other recovery program for an alcoholic, but for us in AA are the logical process by which an alcoholic finds a way to live sober. Alcoholics Anonymous does not get anybody sober. A problem drinker gets sober by stopping drinking. Stopping drinking there was my problem, starting again. We used to hear it all the time, put the plug in the jug. I put the plug in the jug hundreds of times before I come to Alcoholics Anonymous. Pulling it out was my problem. Kind of like sex when you're doing it, you're not having too much trouble. It's when you're not doing it is when the trouble starts. So it's been the principle of AA that any alcoholic who follows our program without deviation has been able to remain sober. Those of us who have cut corners, skipped over steps, eventually find themselves in trouble, and this has been the principle rather than the exception. Now, upon being asked which is the most important of the 12 steps, one of our early members once replied, which is the most important spoke of a wheel? If a wheel has 12 spokes and one of the spokes is removed, the wheel will probably still continue to support the vehicle, but it will have lost strength. Removal of another spoke weakens it more, and eventually the wheel will collapse. And so we find in AA the removal of any of the steps, refusal to take them in sequence, will usually result in a collapse unless we come to see the nature of that problem. I'm one of these that believes that when you're new in Alcoholics Anonymous or been around for a while or a little while longer, a little while of a particularly new, that the new ones be introduced to the twelve steps as soon as possible now this fellowshipping and this hugging and this kissing and this rubbing up against and scratching and laughing is good stuff. It started more groups than you can shake stick at, but it will not stand up when conditions and things in our individual lives feel it's too big a mountain for us to climb if one feels that the steps are a bit complicated at first. They can be introduced to oneself in a simplified form, and I do not believe it takes away from any meaningful steps. Now, when this member of Alcoholics Anonymous asked to share the 12 steps of recovery, the introduction to each of the steps, I used what started with Alcoholics Anonymous in 1935, Group One in Akron. It's still being used in Group One, and all of it has been later incorporated as they begin to write the Book of Alcoholics and on within the book. And so we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, but more important, we want to do something about it. When I come to you people, I admitted that I was powerless over alcohol, but I didn't need to do anything about it. If my wife was straightened up, them two rotten kids were straightened up, my girlfriends were straightened up, the police were straightened up, the bankers were straightened up, and society was straightened up. Or in other words, when we get here, what is the admission? That we're whipped in the business of living sober. This is what it's all about in Alcoholics Anonymous. And then we have a desire to stop drinking alcohol, not quit. Then we ask and receive help from a power greater than ourselves. And here comes the ingredient that has made Alcoholics Anonymous of the most precious, finest recovery program and fellowship for an alcoholic that the world has seen, has seen, and probably ever will see. And that is human beings who are alcoholic, who are sober, and Alcoholics Anonymous. Now, someone can be sent to Alcoholics Anonymous. I don't care how you get here. It's what we do after we get here. They come in, they'll find maybe they've been told where to go to a group. They come in, no one's there. They start looking around and they see all those signs on the... The walls, and My God, I must be in a kindergarten. Then they see the twelve steps on the wall. And what's the first word that every one of us see when we get here? The word God. They Uh-oh, this must be some sort of a kooky religion. And then he pussy around and he finds a blue-covered book. He opens up the book. What's the first word he sees in the book? God. Well, this must be their Bible. And while this is going on, the door opens and another human being comes in. The brand new one turns around, he walks over, and he asks the one just came in. He said, who are you? And he says, I am an alcoholic, and I'm a member of this group. The new one walks around him, looks him over, smells him like a new dog in the neighborhood, and says, if you're an alcoholic, how come you're not drinking alcohol? The member says, I am a sober alcoholic. The new one says, how many kinds of alcoholics are there if the member has any experience whatsoever? The member says, three. The new one says, three. The member says, yes. There's a drinking alcoholic, and there's a sober alcoholic, and there's a dead alcoholic. We are the ones that put conditions on our own selves. You know, an alcoholic can't just be an alcoholic. You got to be an alcoholic and a diesel mechanic, an alcoholic and a glue sniffer, an alcoholic and this and that an alcoholic, our common welfare, we're a society of equals. And then the new one says, well, what's those steps in that word God, and what's this book? Now, if the member has any experience working with drunks, says, come here, we got a coffee pot over here, let's make some coffee. They make some coffee, and he sits down, the new one says, I ask you about... The member says, let me tell you my story. The member is not well into the story, and the new one says, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Are you sure my family didn't send you here, my employer didn't send you here, my counselor didn't send you here, the correctional people didn't send you here? Why? Remember The new one said, because it sounds exactly like my story. Now, if we'll listen to the stories and quit worrying about the differences, all of our stories say the same thing. We couldn't stay sober, we couldn't stay drunk, we couldn't kill ourselves We couldn't live. In other words, we couldn't live sober. That's the uniqueness of Alcoholics Anonymous in the recovery program. And so it is the human being that is the attraction. Now, in all cases, this power is called God. Now, Alcoholics Anonymous doesn't duck it. It's not your God, my God, that God, what God, he, she, he, God, she, God. It's God as each of us have the freedom to under... God. That was the 10th strike in Alcoholics Anonymous. That's what made Alcoholics Anonymous. Because in AA we have atheists that are sober, that's God as they understand him. We have agnostics that are sober, that's God as they understand him. We have true believers that are sober in Alcoholics Anonymous, that's God as they understand him. And if you don't understand God, that's how you understand him. Now wiggle out of that one. But for the purpose of simplification, the word I'll use in the next couple hours, meaning whatever power greater than oneself that one chooses to accept, in the case of the agnostic or the atheist or any unbeliever, it's only necessary that he or she uh, believe in some power in the universe greater than he or she is. You can call it God. You can call it Allah. You can call it Jehovah. You can call it the Son. You can call it Confucius you can call it a cosmic force or whatever one choose to accept as long as it's a comfortable honest conception because certainly we admit we live in a world where night follows day where spring follows winter and where crops ripen at the certain times of the year and when the heavenly planets the, the heavenly bodies and planets maintain an orderly course if they didn't gravity would sling us off of this earth I don't know about you, I have never read about, nor ever met any descendants of a human being that invented earth. Earth was here when man got dropped on it. And all the elements that we enjoy right this tick of time—food, energy, water, clothing, synthetics, lumber, everything in this mortar, bricks, concrete, everything, everything was here. The elements to produce them were here when man got here. All man has done is create, harness man's creative intelligence. And I love what Alva Edison said when he was congratulated as being the world's greatest inventor. He says, No, I'm not the world's greatest inventor. I never invented anything. All I did was take other people's mistakes and make them work. And this is what Alcoholics Anonymous has done. It's taken all the mistakes, that previous programs for an alcoholic failed because of property, prestige, glory, ego, but no maintenance program. The dependency was still on man's outside and inside of man himself, human willpower. And this is the reason that AA is so successful. So when we look at the heavenly bodies and they don't sling us off the earth because of lack of gravity. So it's only logical that there is some power greater behind all this artifice, And such an admission basically is all that any of us need. Then we cleaned up our, our lives, paid our debts, righted our wrongs, and we carried this new way of life to those who were desperately in need of it. And so the 12 steps follow a logical sequence, one that has been used by a successful, sober member of Alcoholics Anonymous. Now, in the early days in A... <coughs> A drunk would come in and he'd get sober. He was continuously sober when he died. Some came in, got sober, went out and got drunk again, came back in and got sober again and were continuously sober when he died. Some came in, got sober, went out and got drunk, never made it back and died drunk. It is still the same today. Still the same. That's how little we know about stopping drinking alcohol. And so they follow a logical sequence. These steps were carefully thought out. They were argued over. They fought our order. And they're just as true and necessary to successful recovery from our illness today as when they were written. And step one, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol that allowed it to become unmanageable. Now, without the first step, there is no chance to recover. Why? It's been demonstrated over and over and over and over again that our become become sober and stay sober only when he or she is doing, him, doing it for himself or for herself alone. Now, we may become sober temporarily for the sake of another human being. Fear of some sort. Afraid they're going to lose their job. Afraid they're going to lose their family. Some afraid they're not going to lose them. But unless we are sincerely and genuinely determined to sow rough for ourselves and for ourselves only, then our days of sobriety become numbered. This is the most difficult step to take in Alcoholics Anonymous. There is not another step as difficult to take, because this step requires a heck of a lot of preparation in order to take it. The first thing is you got to drink alcohol. Drink alcohol to the point to where it totally dominates the obsession to drink and to fight it right down the wire sometimes. You have to listen to ugly things that are said about us. That we're unreliable. We can't be trusted. We cannot be depended upon. We get drunk at the wrong time. You smell bad. Why were you ever born into this family? Why weren't you born in a family across the alley? And we don't live in a vacuum. We hear these things, and sometimes we begin to believe it because a prospect must make it alone. Now, someone can bring to us the nature of our problem, but unless we accept it and are willing to do it for ourselves and for ourselves only, not for family, not for the world, not for anything or anybody else, but only to please a power greater than ourselves, because it's not easy to admit defeat. For years we said, I can stop drinking any time I want to. And then some knows the individual would stick his nose in my business and say, yeah, but when do you want to? For years we believed that sobriety was just around the corner. And tragically enough, we never rounded the corner. And suddenly discovered, much to our disgust, that we cannot stop. I don't know how many of y'all watch professional football, but last Sunday, when the Dallas Cowboys played the New York Giants, and there were millions of fans all over the world watching on satellite television and in the stadiums and at home, who absolutely believed that the Cowboys were going to score enough points in the last second and a half, last one-and-a-half seconds that game, and beat the giant, and the Cowboys didn't even have the ball. I don't, know, I don't know if you know what it is when they find you. They capture you, and they bring you home. They take all your clothes off and your money, and they throw you in a bedroom, and the windows are barred, and they lock the door. And There's not but one doorknob, and it wasn't on my side of the bedroom. And then they have a convention of all the in-laws, the outlaws, all the religious leaders, everybody else in the neighborhood knows everything else, and they hold a convention. The theme of the convention was what to do with one David. And as the voices got louder, they're moving to the hall, to that bedroom. And I never will forget one of Grace's brothers. He said... Why do you stay with him? Why do you live with him? She said, but you don't know him when he's sober. And he said, well, when is he sober? Then he said, if I was married to him, I'd poison him. My wife couldn't understand later on why I wouldn't come home and eat her food. (laughs) And I'm laying there, and, and, and ugly things. It's just like sticking a hot knife in a wound full of salt. And I say to myself, if they think I'm drunk now, by God, I'll get out of here, money or no money, clothes or no clothes. I'll show them what drunk really is. But I had I had to get sober to realize that they were doing the best they do how, what to do with me. They didn't know any difference. So when we come to Alcoholics Law, we finally come to the fork in the road where we either admitted that we had a problem or continued to sink deeper and deeper into the mire of active alcoholism. And here comes old A.A. I mean the best kind of Alcoholics Anonymous. We used to hear it all the time at every speaker meeting and every... They'd get up behind the podium and they'd pound on it. If you continue to drink, you're going to go crazy. They're going to lock you up in a maximum security nut ward, or they're going to lock you up in a penitentiary or you'll be murdered or electrocuted. Yeah. And we used to hear a lot of things like that. Until the admission is made to ourselves, for ourselves only, that our alcoholic problem has gone out of control, not our drinking problem. You know when you have a drinking problem? When you run out of alcohol when you're drinking, that's when you got a drinking problem. But our alcohol, alcoholic problem is, are, has gone out of control. Yeah. Until then, we'll have no inspiration to want to stop drinking. But once that admission has been made, then the way is clear. And it is at this point that the experienced sober members of Alcoholics Anonymous can step in and lend a helping hand. And then the remaining steps are automatically made easier. If they were made harder, none of us would stay at Alcoholics Anonymous. Now, it's utterly amazing. Alcoholics Anonymous has no definition of alcoholism. We have descriptions of an alcoholic with the exception of Dr. Silsworth's description of the doctor opinion. Here they come. We're men and women who have lost the ability to control their drinking. It doesn't say you're an alcoholic if you've gotten DWIs. It doesn't say you're an alcoholic if you've written hot checks to stay drunk. It doesn't say you're an alcoholic if you've lost your family, gotten somebody else's family. It doesn't say you're an alcoholic... Have you, because you lost the job uh-uh. We are men and women who have lost the ability to control our drinking. The great obsession of every abnormal drinker is to somehow, someday, be able to control and enjoy his drinking. A normal drinker does not have to control his drinking. The abnormal drinker. Then the next one. That if when you honestly want to, you find you cannot quit entirely, or if when drinking you have a little control over the amount that you take. Once again, doesn't say anything about checks, DWIs, jail time, nut time, anything else. And then the next one, the first step, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, physical, that our lives have become unmanageable, mental. And so AA came up with the illness. Now AA, the, the disease concept came outside of Alcoholics Anonymous. Alcoholics Anonymous calls us a malady or an illness, a twofold illness of mind and body, a mental obsession so powerful that condemns us to drink against our own will no matter how many promises we make. We mean it, but we don't know that we are suffering from something that's condemning us to drink and the physical nature of the illness condemns us to die for continued drug. And so the founders of Alcoholics Anonymous came up with a solution a power greater than ourselves. Now, I like to talk about, because anytime this member of Alcoholics Anonymous is asked to share A's experience and this member's experience in the recovery program, this member spends quite a bit of time on step one. Very simply. Because here is we where we find out what's wrong with us. And until we're willing to find out what's wrong with us, we'll never be able to find out what can get right with us. And I'd like to talk about some of the, our kind. The inability to stop drinking after taking one drink. The necessity for a drink in the morning. Now, I never did start drinking in the morning. I was already up drinking when morning came around. Getting drunk at the wrong time. That is, when the occasion calls for one to be sober, I'll share an experience. We were living in this little town in the Panhandle, West Texas, and the richest and the most influential man in the town died. And that man loved me dearly because he had an active alcoholic daughter. There was an incorrigible drinking drunk, and they put her barefooted with no teeth on a well, a bus with a one-way ticket from Memphis, Texas, to Vancouver, Canada. And he saw a lot of her and me, and he died. And the family asked me to be a pallbearer. And that's an honor to be a pallbearer. Well, it's one of those cold, rainy days in the panhandle of West Texas, not quite cold enough to sleep. And I'm home getting all juiced up to be a pallbearer. Put on my right boot, take a drink of whiskey. Put on my left boot, take a drink Every button on my shirt, I'd button, I'd take a drink. Put my pants on, my tie on, take a drink. Finally, I pitched what was left of that half-fifth underneath the front seat of that old station wagon. go to church house. Now, I don't know how many of y'all lived in a small country town with those old-fashioned churches. They didn't dig a cellar. The ground floor was a cellar. They just, our basement, they just built a church right over it. And you climb up those steps like climbing up Pikes Peak, And you open up them big oak doors and they got them curved pews, and to get down on that front row which called hopeless row, it's like skiing down Pike's Peak. And I'm in there and all I'm thinking about is the drink. And the host minister starts the services. And I knew who all the eulogizers were. Well after the eulogizers got through, I'm saying about now I'm gonna get me a good drink of alcohol, and that's not sanity. But they tricked me. They'd augmented the choir. And the choir starts to sing. They sang every hymn in the Methodist hymnal and half out the Baptist hymnal. (laughs) Wandering child, please come home. We'll all gather down by the river at the foot of the cross, and Jesus loves you. And here's a hymn I do not like. It's Amazing Grace. Because I'm married to a gal, her name is Grace, and she ain't amazing. And finally they get through. You know, the pallbearers got the wheels of the deceased up while the congregation files by, takes a look, before they close the box. And then they go down the steps and line up on either side of the steps, leading to the hearse. And I knew I could never hold the northeast corner of that coffin up without a drink wish. And one of the funeral house assistants came by and I nailed him. And I said, I'm sick, take my place. And I scooted out the side door, got in that station wagon, went about three blocks. Pull that bottle out, peel that sack down like a banana. Knock the cap off. Took a drink. All began to smooth out. Took another. My hair laid back down. My underwear loosened up. My feet felt more comfortable than boots. And thank. And it took another and another. And thank God I had enough sanity not to try to crawl in with the rest of the pallbearers drinking and drunk, or to try to drive in a funeral procession at five miles an hour and drunk. Well, the cemetery is about five miles out in the country. I said, well, I'll gauge my speed, and I'll get out there when the hearse gets out there, the procession. So I started, I'm drinking with one hand and driving, and I turn on my radio. And I love country-western music. And my favorite radio station in those days was Del Rio, Texas. Where they sold Bibles and crosses and chains and rejuvenation powders and potions and lotions. Post office box. They sold everything under the sun. Get your cupid dollar Jesus. You can love him. You can hug him. You can kiss him. He's with you 365 days out of year, and he glows in the dark, you know. <laughs> and they play those fine country western tunes. Don't wake them bloodshot eyes at me. And here's one that's good for 11 months of drinking and 14 months of crying. Only God made honky-tonk angels. And I'm a-singing, and I'm drinking. I get out to the cemetery. There's nobody there. I climb up the wet hill. The false grass has been laid. Chairs over it. Ten over that. The grave has been dug. Stanchion at each end and a sling for the coffin. Nobody shows up. I get behind the little lectern, make about a two-minute eulogy. Nobody shows up. See a couple of chairs out of line, straighten them up. Slide back down the hill, take about eight more honks on that juice. I'm coming up that wet, slick hill. Now, I'm not seeing double, I'm seeing quadruple. And I'm seeing full, whole rows of chairs that are out of line, crooked. i got to straighten them chairs up. Well, is there anything our kind don't want? We don't want anybody to know we've been around and messed up. So I'm aiming for four chairs that ain't out of line. And I hit that old false grass that gets slicker than you know what. And one of the tips of my boots catches a seam on that thing. And the next thing you know, I'm sliding. And the next thing you know, I'm grabbing two chairs. The next thing you know, me and two chairs, we're down in the bottom of that hole down there. And you know, when you're extremely drunk and you're flat on your back and you can't get up, it's the most helpless feeling in the world. Here comes the preacher. Here comes, raised by wife. Here comes the pallbearers with the deceased and the son of the deceased. Here's all that scratching and squealing down at the bottom of that hole. And he sticks his long turkey neck down there and he sees me. And he asks me this brilliant question. What are you doing down there? (laughs) And I gave him a drinking drunk's best shot. I said, I'm trying to get out. That's what I'm doing. They hauled me out. And I'm drunk, and I'm wet, and I'm muddy, and every eye is looking at me. And I could see the looks in the eyes of the people who I love the most and who love me the most. I could see the tears, the shame, the disgust, the befuddlement, the utter disbelief and disgrace. But I also saw something in those eyes that every alcoholic has seen in the eyes of the people who love us the most and who love us the most, not only when drinking, unfortunately, sometimes after we get sober in alcoholics, not Although those eyes do not audibly say these words, those eyes look these words, and those words are, Oh, no, not again. And I'm saying, get these services over with, so I can obliterate from my innermost consciousness The guilt, the shame, and the remarks and the looks and eyes of the people I love the most who love me the most. When those services were over with, I didn't go out and take me a drink of alcohol. I went out and got a box of alcohol. And I didn't come back to that town for three and a half months. But the ridicule and the shame that my wife and our two young boys had to endure was almost too much for their sanity. That's what you call getting drunk at the wrong time. But after I got sober, I realized that I had at that time no defense. No defense not getting drunk. Then neither did you. Yeah, That's a tremendous gift we've been given. The inability to sleep without the use of alcohol, loss of a memory during a drunk, and the deadening. We hear these in the personal story. And you know, once our kind become an alcoholic and sadly we do not Recognize it. When we cross over the borderline, invisible line, whatever you want to call it, we are an alcoholic for life. We may go years and years without drinking, yet when we go back, we're back in the old squirrel cage again, and it's never better, it's worse. So it's not only important that we admit that we are alcoholic, but we continue to bear in mind that as alcoholics, only complete sobriety will keep us reasonably Normal and sane, and what is total sobriety and alcoholic? Science? It's full, full, mental, physical, emotional, and soul. If there's one area in a human being's life that our recovery program did not cover, us drunks would have eaten this program up alive. Program, is the principles are too powerful us, too powerful for us. So if you're new, or if you've been around, or if you're wondering, is it really worth it? can say to him and say, Yes, I have an alcoholic problem. I'm certain that I'm an alcoholic. But more important, I have to continue to live sober. Then half the battle is won. And then the mind is open to listen to the experience by the sober members of Alcoholics Anonymous as they explain to us in their own lives, how they're living, if you decide you want what we have and are willing to go to length to get it. That our lives become unmanageable. Many come to alcoholics and all and believe their lives are unmanageable when they're drinking. No, when we're drinking, we're drunk. It's in between drunks. My life, right this very tick of time, living a lifestyle on David's own terms is just as unmanageable as it was before I got here. Period. No more, no less. And I believe it with every fiber of my being. A tells us exactly when we're going to get drunk again. When it tells us we do not know when the obsession to drink will return, but we know that it will. And if we're not on solid spiritual grounds at that time, then it may be too late. Read our book. Listen to the stories that go back to drinking. All the stories in the book that went back to drinking, and even those that are not in, that are in AA, or were in AA, and not members today that went back to drinking, they all say the same thing. They fail to enlarge and develop their spiritual life. And so as a result of it, anyone just stop and examine one of their drunks should not have a difficult time in admitting that we drift away from normality. Normal drinking for me would get you a pint of cheap whiskey or a pint of wine, knock the cap off, sucker down in one swallow, throw the empty away, and go get another. Many of us, we've admitted, you know, that we tried any method to live, think, and try to drink normally to control it, but always failed. Many of us tried medicine. Many of us tried psychiatry, drying out parlors, nut houses. Hospitals. When I say hospitals, I do not mean treatment modalities. Caves, tents, witch doctors, horoscopes, biorhythm charts, acupuncture, hypnosis, anything. So now when we come to the point in the managing of our lives, we we're a complete failure, our kind. Because if I could manage my life, I could have managed my drinking. Step two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore sanity. Step two, step six, step, step seven, uh, by A's experience, are three of the most sloughed over steps in Alcoholics Anonymous. You'll hear a member say, yes, I know I was insane. I was treated for shock treatment. Now, has nothing to do with whether one has been legally declared insane, psychotically declared in shame, Medically to carry it insane or anyway, has nothing to do with it. Sanity and alcoholic came to believe that a power of could restore us to have sense enough one day at a time to realize that we have a twofold illness of mind and body that unless we're willing to have sense enough to realize the seriousness of the nature, we will continue to drink and not get sober and stay sober. Sanity for our kind of people begins when we don't take that first drink one day at a time and then begin to grow. And so as a result of it, if we take the first step, then we want to know how we're going to receive assistance. Looking to our own past lives, we discover that our attempts to give up alcohol through our own willpower fail. It's comforting to know, however, that many great minds... Are agreed that trying to use willpower in this business of trying to stay sober is like trying to lift ourselves up by our own bootstraps. The sincere efforts of our families and friends to help us, in most instances, were totally unsuccessful. Many of us fancied ourselves as rugged individualists. We like to say, you know, I like to think I'm the master of my fate and I'm the captain of my soul. That sounds real good when you're sitting in a bar and you're beating on it and say I am the master of my fate and the captain of my soul. And the phone rings. And you say, hey, bartender, tell her I ain't here, you know.
1: <laughs>
0: but we lived to a little thinking that we've been miserable failures in the business of living sober. Many of us tried medicine. We tried hospitals. We tried treatment modalities, some it. religion. We found a lot of deep sympathy. In many instances, they took our money, but we couldn't find com- sobriety. So willpower, help from family, friends, medicine, farm, religion haven't failed. There were a group of people such as us who had exhausted all the alternatives. And they finally found what we now know as our recovery program, Alcoholics Anonymous. And they found there was not but one place to turn to, and that was a power greater than ourselves. Sanity begins to us. It starts the sanity. And believing in this power greater than ourselves, that can do to and with and us what we cannot possibly do to and with ourselves. We'll pick it up later. Later. That's a great fact that the obsession to drink has been removed. Sanity has been returned. That's the kind of sanity AA talks about. Yeah. And so there's not one place, and this is not difficult as it may seem. We're not asked to go to a house of worship to find this power greater than ourselves. We're not even asked to seek the advice of a clergyman. We've got herds of clergymen that are sober members of alcoholics Not know, know more about clergy than there's clergy. And they are just as suffering from the twofold illness of mind and body as anybody else. We've got herds of psychiatrists that are members of AA. That know more about psychiatrists that are in the same situation. We're only asked to quit trying to run our own life our own way and making such a sorry mess of it. And then, with an open mind, listen to and then begin to accept the experience of people such as us when we come here who have ironed out the same problem that brings every one of us to Alcoholics Anonymous, the inability to live sober as a problem drinker. And I'm one of these kind. I like to keep it as simple as I can. If we remember back when we were little kids, and we'd go out and we'd stump our toe, or somebody would s- steal our little scooter or our rope and our ball and our jacks and a little tricycle and our toys. And we'd come running in the house, just bawling away. And we'd put our head in Nanny's lap, and some about Nanny's, they always had a handkerchief in the bosom. They'd pull that handkerchief out and say, Blow your nose, child. And then they start rubbing our rump and the back of our neck, and they "Tell me, tell me your troubles, child. Tell me all about." It. And we pour our little hearts out, and they say, "Everything's gonna be all right, child." And we believed it because we trusted, when we were naive little children. So, and then they pat us on the back, say, "Go to the icebox, give us some money, go down to the store and get some candy or something or ice cream." And so when we leave, that's like a goose in a new world, you know. And so if we can believe as when we were naive little children in this universal father, ready to listen to our troubles, ready to give us the same understanding and love that we received from someone whom we trusted that was older than us when we were little children. Look around at, you, at your friends in AA, hey, you know, their troubles were as great as anybody else's. Some, not all, were down and outers, morally and in many cases physically. Yet by beginning to live the same set of principles, they have managed to live sober. It's just a matter of wanting to listen to the experience and then put it into practice. Live the program as it's laid out for us. But more important, have faith in that program. It's working for us. And it'll work for any alcoholic. You can. We cannot work these steps. The steps have to work us. The minute we put our hands on it, with our innate substance, self-centered, we begin to bend it, we begin to twist it. So what was the dilemma? Why do we need to be restored to sanity? What was our problem before we got here? Not drinking, but in between drunks. Why is it that we had everything in this world to live for, yet we returned to drinking? Where was this power? Why couldn't willpower do it? Right now. Willpower. Oh, there may be somebody who say, Well, look at me, I'm using my willpower and I don't live step this that. They ain't dead yet. Lack of power was our dilemma. And we had to find a power by which we could live. And it had to be a power greater than ourselves, obviously. But where and how do we find this power? Our book says the main object of this book is enabled you to find a power greater than yourself that will solve your problems. You ain't my problem. David is David's problem. Then they wrote a line in that book, two lines greatest lines I've ever read in any book, any place, anywhere, from the time since I could read to right now, we believe that we have written a book that is both moral and spiritual, which has been to me, means to me right now, if I'm willing to do what was put in the book of Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, they tell you how they did it, but they don't tell you when they did it. The time factor in each of our lives is when we, it's time for us to do it. That's all. If I'm willing to do it, then I no longer have to be concerned whether I have a spiritual or moral life. As long as I'm living sober, I have one, and no one can tell me I am wrong. That is a tremendous gift and a tremendous feeling we all have it. We may not express it in the way that I just got to express it. Now, as soon as any of us believes or is willing to believe, we emphatically assure him or her that he or she is on the way. And it's been, a, it's been repeatedly proven among us that upon this very simple cornerstone, a wonderfully effective spiritual structure can be built. If one reads the book of Alcoholics Anonymous... And reads Bill's story, it was just a matter of Bill being willing to believe in a power greater than himself. No further requirement was necessary for him to make a beginning. Step three. Now, if you look at the 12 steps, the first step is a diagnosis, the second step is a prescription, the third step is taking the medicine, the fourth step is a diagnosis, the fifth step is a prescription, step six and seven is taking the medicine. All but the last line of the eighth step is a diagnosis. The last line of the eighth step is a prescription. The ninth step is taking the medicine. The tenth step is a diagnosis. The eleventh step is a prescription. The twelfth step is taking the medicine. Now, if A gets more complicated than that, I'm going to have to go get me another deal. Now, step three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to care of God as we understood him. Now, if we've come to believe there's a power greater than ourselves. You see, AA had a chance to blow itself out of the tub when it got started by trying to define God in the second step. It didn't. didn't even name it. Believing. Believing in a power greater than ourselves. This opens the door for the agnostics and the atheists, whatever they believe in. It's their honest conception. And a lot of them are staying Sober. Now, if, once we've come to believe there is a power greater than ourselves, and we want to stay sober and live the A-Wave recovery program in life more than anything else in this world, but we confine it to one day at a time, then if we want it more than anything in the world, it's not too difficult to turn the thing that runs the power, and that's us. As I said in the second step, that is rugged individuals, We are rank failures in the business of living sober, always looking in the future, always disappointed. And it is at this point that one day at a time, day by day, or the 24-hour plan comes to our system. And what is one day at a time living? And our co-founder, Bill own words as Bill sees it are the A-way of life. It's our emotional being one day at a time. Our emotions break us or make us when we're sober. Now, we have found that by giving up planning, I got up this morning and we let each day take care of itself. When I got up this morning, I didn't say, David, you're going to stay sober for David and David's going to keep David sober. Uh Uh-uh. No. I lost that power of choice long ago. I got up this morning, I said, Good morning, Heavenly Father. I call it Heavenly Father God. I don't call it the eye in the sky, Herman, the brown paper bag, or the velveteen rabbit. I said, Good morning, Heavenly Father, God. My name is David A., and I'm an alcoholic, and I'm reporting in, and only with your help can I stay sober this day. And here is my jug, and you keep it for me this day. And since I've been doing that, God has not poured me a drink of alcohol. And said, Drink it, David. Now, I'm one of them kind, and I ain't going to sit by the bed and meditate ten minutes. I'll fall back asleep. I get up and get to the going. And then when I'm driving to my office, that's when I, I don't listen to the radio, read the newspaper, nothing. I just talk to God. And so we found up each day take care of said did when we were drinking, yeah. And if we're doing the best, we know how. With whatever experience we have, we're doing the best. We know how. Now, yeah. and I ask God to stay sober me to stay sober this day, only with his help, and the next and the next and the next, and then when the day ends, I thank you. This is a first step in turning our will and our lives over to care of God as we understand him. Now, when we come to Alcoholics Anonymous, we come in, we stop drinking one day at a time, they give a desire chips, some don't. You get a 30-day winner, you get three months or six months, nine months. It's already happened. It's already happened. Because next thing you know, we're saying the serenity prayer. It's got God in it. We're saying the Lord's prayer. That's God in it. It's already beginning to happen. The key is, let it keep on happening. I was talking to a young member not long ago. He says, I'm having trouble with the third step. What do you think? I said, I believe you haven't still... Don't believe the second step. I said, I'd like to ask you some questions. He said, What's that? I said, How long have you been sober? He said, Three years. I said, How was it the next to the last day you got sober three years ago? He said, It was horrible. I said, Well, you, you, you got on some nice-looking shoes, pants, shirt, eye. What was your clothing situation the next to the last day you got sober? three years ago he said I was barefooted I was in an old pair of khaki britches that I'd been in for about 11 months no underwear I said uh, you got a job he said it's the best little job I've ever had in my life I said well how was what was your job situation next last day when you got sober three years ago he said I was unemployed and had been unemployed for two years I said, you married? He says, you know, nine months ago, the little wife and our two children returned. We're living under one roof again. I said, what was your wife and children's situation? Next last day when you got sober three years ago, he said, five years before that, he was stood up in front of a judge and told he was never to see his children again. Nothing to do with him and nothing to do with his spouse. I said, you got a house? He says, you know, we just closed the contract two weeks ago. It's the first house that we're going to own. We pay for it. I said, well, what was your housing situation next to last day? Three years ago, we got he says, I was sleeping in alleys over steam grates and cardboard boxes. I said, "You got a car." He says, "Best little car we've ever had." What was your transportation the next last day when you got sober three years ago? He says, "I was a foot and had been a foot for four years." I said, "Dummy, it's already happening. Just keep on doing what you're doing. That's all. It's happening to every one of us, but our own selfish and self-centered ways get into it. I'm just as guilty as anybody else. You know." You betcha. And so this is the first step in turning our will and our life over to care of God, as we understand it. And we develop until we we'll find we are no longer headstrong. We're no longer trying to run our own life our own way and make a sorry mess of it. Now, we hear it a lot of times in AA that it's at the third step. It's the third step prayer. Well, when I got sober, y'all were saying, praying strange prayers. And I didn't know, and I went to my sponsor. And I said, they're praying strange prayers. And I don't can pray that way. He said, There are three prayers in a big book. Dummy, read them. See if you can find them. Well, I found the first one. Y'all called it. I didn't call it a prayer. Y'all did. It said, Many of us said to our Maker. You notice it didn't say any, uh, all of them did in the book? Many of them said to our Maker. As we understood Him. We don't hear those words, do we? As we understood Him. God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties that victory over them may bear witness to those that are the help of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. May I do thy will always. Now, right now, right this very second of time, it means far more to me than it did when I read it when I was only about ten days sober over 30 years ago. Yeah. God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and do with me as thou wilt. Not how my sponsor wants me. Not how you want me. Not how my family wants me. Not how my patients wants me. Not how society wants me. But how God wants me. Then I ask him to relieve me of the bondage of me. That I better do his will. Now comes God's will for us. And that is to let God take away my difficulties, that victory over them may bear witness to those that I would help. Of thy power, thy love, and Thy way of life, may I do thy will always, and always for us, and let him take away our difficulties, self from self, one day at a time. And it culminates in the twelfth step, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps. That's God's will. us in AA. I was at a meeting not long ago and they were talking about God's will. And one of our little members said it's God's will that I buy a Ford escort. Now God's not interested in what kind of car I'm driving. You know what God's interested in? If I can't afford it and they repossess it, what's my attitude? Yeah. Now, it said we thought well before taking this step, making sure we were ready, that we could at last abandon ourselves utterly to Him. Now, you don't have to have very many big book seminars, and study groups on the word utterly. Now, I very seldom read from the book of Alcoholics, do, but this portion right here I read, I cannot get through it without cracking up laughing. It's the funniest lines to me It's in the book. He said, we found it very desirable to take this spiritual step with an understanding person, such as our wife, best friend, our spiritual advisor. The only three that were married were Bill and Bob and Bill Dodson. The rest of them, they didn't have any wives, and they didn't have any friends, and they didn't have any spiritual advisors. Yeah, yeah. But it's better to meet God alone than with one who might misunderstand. You know, the little drunk comes in, he comes to AA, and he gets all excited, and he gets flushed with his spiritual enema, and he's out to save the world, and he runs into his minister, and the minister says, God, it's good to see you, but we don't, I'm seeing you in Sunday school, I am seeing you at the Wednesday night prayer meeting, I am seeing you at the Sunday morning services, I am seeing you at the revivals of the encampments of the cemetery cleaning details, where you been? Little drunk, Be Mr. Preacher. I'm now a member of Alcoholics Anonymous and you know what? I found God. And the preacher, the minister, and it's a logical question for them to ask, well, why don't you have to go down there with them old drunks to find God? Why don't you come to the church where they call it the house of God, where God is? And the little drunk they had an experience, you know, Mister Preacher. I remember your church, and you said, "Don't you belong to no other church? Only God's in this church." I went with a friend of mine. His sister got married in the Catholic church, and they introduced me to the priest. And the priest says, "Where do you go? Well, I will. Be. Don't go back over there. Come here. Only God's here, Mister Preacher." I come to Alcoholics Anonymous, and you know what you call them old drunks at? That God's everywhere. That's the reason why I'm comfortable, Mr. Preacher, at Alcoholics Anonymous. And I'd be more comfortable, and I'm come, coming come, come back to your church, your services, then I can understand something for the first time in my life. But it can never be a substitute nor a replacement for my recovery program in and Alcoholics Anonymous, and so therefore, sometimes we take it the best friend of spirits invited, but it's better to meet God alone than with one who might misunderstand. That's what I was talking about. And the wording was optional, but once expressed, a great feeling will begin to take place. Step four made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Now, this is a step that requires something that none of us have the right kind before we get here, and that's courage. You say, what kind of courage means? God grant me the strength to accept the things I can. And the courage to change things I can. And the wisdom to know the difference. Now, one of the reasons for drinking was to escape from ourselves. It's just like putting our shoes on backwards. We kept walking into ourselves and didn't want ourselves and couldn't get rid of ourselves. And we knew that we were afraid to face facts. The reason that we're afraid to face facts, we're afraid to face the consequences of the facts. We're afraid of families and all these other things and we're afraid of thinking about them. But if we fortified ourselves by taking the major hurdles in the first three steps, the time now comes where we're going to have to do something about living sober. Up to now, we're just dry. And the sooner we do something about living sober, our chances of staying sober increase and increase and increase and increase. The longer we put it off, the chances to return to drinking or maybe mentally going crazy emotionally increases, 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 increases. That's not inventory, that's AA's experience and not opinion. Now, we find the time now comes, I said, do something definite about our problem. And what is the problem? Lack of power to change the effects of our defects of character in our life. We don't know this now. Not in the fourth step. We don't yet. Yeah. Now, when we get into our fourth step, what are we, going to do? we find we've been dishonest with our own selves. If I've been dishonest with David, I've been dishonest with you and everything about me. We've lied about the true nature of our drinking. We've broken hearts. We've cheated the ones who love us the most to have a good night's sleep and not to have to get up when the phone rings at 2, 3 o'clock in the morning or the doorbell rings. Who is it? Is it the drunk? Is it the coroner? Is it the sheriff? Is it the district attorney's office? Is the drunk, drunk, and brought some drunken playmates home, you know? We've let down employers. Some, not all, have indulged in extra marital curricular activities, broken faith, and all we find that when we get physically sober and look at ourselves with so much guilt, shame, and remorse, that we've been miserable individuals in the business of living sober. And this is where the great news that Alcoholics Knives brought to the world, it can, if one is an alcoholic, can be traced back to alcohol. You see, A also brought to the world that ours was not a moral illness. How can it be moral if it's self-inflicted and we don't want it and we can't get rid of it? Moral in Alcoholics Anonymous has nothing to do with immorality. Many come and look at that word moral in the 470, right away, immorality. had nothing to do with it. we got to go into our recovery program and to another step to find out that those defects of character, those defects, those moral defects that made our lives unmanageable, defects of character, that tear down the fiber of a human being. And so if we continue our inventory, we consider our physical selves. Our health has been impaired. Money is faulty. Appearance has become careless and slovenly. Bananasas for some of the low end. I made a call on a drunk in a drying out joint. It wasn't a treatment center. I walked in. I looked at him. Johnny looked at me and said, What are you doing here? I said, i come here to visit with you. He said, David, do you know your reputation in alcoholic Anonymous? I said, No. He said, Your reputation is that when you come and visit a drunk in a place like this, the next one comes in the undertaker. I said, I saw him turning the corner about two blocks away. He hops out of bed, got on one of them short kimonos, you know, that come halfway between the hip and the knees, they're wearing them joints. One tie is always untied in the back. And he slips his feet in them half-moon paper shoes, toes, and no heel, and comes towards me doing that Thorazine shuffle that they do in that place. And he looks at me and he said, what I need to do? I said, bail yourself out, put your clothes on, and come with me. He said, back to Alcoholics Anonymous. I said, back to Alcoholics Anonymous. You never went to AA. You just visited AA. You criticized the people in there that didn't have any money, the kind of cheap cars they were driving and their clothes and their education and their political... No, we're going to AA. Then I looked up and said, Johnny, how much money you got on your hip? He said, $900 I said, what'd you have when you started? He said, a billion and a quarter. And that's true. Now, I could understand that. I didn't file a pay income tax for 18 years. And I turned myself into the federal government, IRS, and they estimated, no stocks, no bonds, no real estate, but that I made with my eyes, my hands, and my feet, a million and seven hundred and some odd thousand dollars. And when I come to Alcoholics college, all I had was a quarter and a nickel thirty cents and that was all left the last blood I sold to the blood bank to buy wine. Now he came down from a billion and a quarter to nine hundred million and I came down from a million seven hundred thousand dollars to thirty cents. I could understand that. Just like you got two dollars then over one dollar, no difference you got two million and end of one million. That's relative. That's all. Yeah. And so once we've taken ourselves apart we wonder how on this world people put up with it to begin with. Now, it's a brave act to dissect oneself. But we're, conse- uh, we're compensated by the great feeling of satisfaction that we at last fairly faced an issue. And no one in their right senses wants to continue living in a manner in which we used to when we find out what's wrong with us came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Now, searching and fearless means to search for having no fear. Of course we're going to find a lot of rotten stuff. Well, what do we expect to find after months, weeks, sometimes years of abnormal living and drinking? Some of it's going to be not so nice, but it's in the inventory. That's the basic reason we're taking it in order to know what has to be eliminated in the next step of ourselves. We in no way permit the faults of others to enter in our inventory. We assume full responsibility. It's an inventory of ourselves, ourselves only, our faults, not of our loved ones, not of... The names will be in there. Sure, it's going to come in handy now because A is a self-contained recovery program. For our eight-step list, Only, only of ourselves. And so now we're down to the causes and conditions of our behavior, which is meant to me and means to me the condition of my mind that caused me to do the things that hit in between drunks, that triggered off the next one. It is in this step that we find how we grow spiritually in Alcoholics Anonymous. In the book, that is. That resentment is the number one offender. common to all Alcoholics. It destroys more alcoholics than anything else, and from it stems all spiritual illness. What do we mean? First, we resent. Then we get mad. Then we get angry. Then we get frustrated. Then we feel sorry. ourselves. Boo! Yeah. And until we overcome the spiritual malady, only then will we straighten out mentally and physically, which means we will never overcome the spiritual malady. We grow along spiritual lines. All that's been put in our book. Yeah. You betcha. One day at a time. Which means that once we physically stop drinking, we'll never activate the physical. That will be with us the rest of our lives. Cannot be changed. That will be. But as long as we don't drop it. Well, so where is the problem now living sober? Up here up here in our stinking thinking that leads to stinking drinking. Yeah. So what are the 12 steps all about? Living sober. But as a problem drinker, we've got to stop drinking alcohol physically one day. And we have to remember this now. Without physical sobriety, there is no sobriety. It is the base of all sobriety. And so, it is suggested that we write this inventory. I've seen them on floppy disks. I've seen them on computer printouts. I've seen them on match covers. I've seen them on toilet tissue. Any place is some of the most unusual things, you know? And I was 43 days sober in Alcoholics Anonymous. My sponsor come and got me. And he said to me, you be down in my office next Wednesday morning at 8 o'clock. I said, what for? He said, to take your fifth step. I said, I haven't read my fourth step yet. He said, you will. And I turned to all them hermits that got sober when Coolidge was president, and I said, but they said I ain't been an Alcoholics long enough. He grabbed me by my arm. He took me into the Secretary's office. We have a large group, huge group. Group I belong to got over two thousand members. But it wasn't that group, there's another one. It had about five hundred members. Eight secretary. And we, we have our sobriety cards, and they're alphabetically fine, uh, filed, not by the first letter of your last name, but the first letter of your first name. And he says, Secretary, give him his sobriety card, and he did. Then he said, Give him a pencil with an eraser on it. And he did. I said, what do you want me to do with this card and this pencil? He says, you take the eraser and you erase my name at the bottom of your card as your sponsor. And put down they. <laughs> I'm not going to do it. Nobody, everybody asked to sponsor me, they said, no, what I got here. And you're the only one that took me on, I believe, because you respected my father so much. He says, All right. If you are going to run around here, tell everybody that I'm your sponsor, you're going to do exactly as I tell you to do, or get somebody else. I said, yes, sir. Then I said, well, how do you write the four step? He said, I've been waiting two weeks for you to ask me that. You've been in them closed discussion meetings, and you've been memorizing snatches from the big book, the 1212. A.A. comes with age. Ann Lander's column, (laughs) National Geographic. If you've been reading the big book, you know exactly how to write it. If it's good enough for Bill and Dr. Bob and those boys, it's good enough for you. I said, yes. And so I began to write. Self-pity. What's self-pity? Where we resent the fact that, once again, we're in a trap that we promised God and ourselves and everything and everybody. We weren't going to do it again, yet we did it again and again and again and again. We resent the fact that, once again, we've let our own self down. Lack of power was our dilemma. Jealousy, intolerance, and here comes one, fear. Now, I'm gonna read again from the book. It's the finest writing of fear I've ever read any place. Fear. This short word, somehow, touches about every aspect of our lives. It was an evil and corroding threat. The fabric of our existence was shot through with it. It set in motion trains, it set in motion trains of circumstances, which caused us misfortune. We felt we did not deserve. But did not we ourselves set the ball rolling? Sometimes we think fear, all the class was stealing. It seems to cause more trouble. And then, you know, sex. Every alcoholic who comes to alcoholics, Now, I don't care how old or how young, everyone has a sex problem. Either we want to and can't, or we can't and we want to.
1: <laughs>
0: and that's not going to cost you $28,000 to find that out. That's how simple it is, yeah. But they do put some things in there, really. They really do, and it it can apply to anything in that age, you know? Because you can get way out in left field in one of these things. You certainly can We put each relationship to this very simple but powerful test. Was it selfish or was it not? And the answer is usually yes. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, a woman, a man will promise her anything in this world. And a woman will let him, hoping she's going to get what he promises. Show a lot of frustrated women in AA, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. That, again, is being a human being. Yeah. And so then we start to sane, shape a sane and sound ideal for our future sex life, you know? And here's the thing. if If we're sorry what we have done and have the honest desire to let God take us to better things, then we in AA believe we will be forgiven and we'll learn our lesson. But if we're not sorry and our sex behavior continues to harm others, if our financial behavior continues to harm others, if our candor behavior, no matter what it is, Continue to harm others, we're quite sure to drink again. And the human being that this member of Alcoholics Anonymous can least afford to harm is David. Is David, yeah. And so now we've got our, and I done done wrote my inventory, and now I got to go tell it somebody. Now the fourth step is not fair. You gotta write down how darn phony you are. What if somebody reads it? When we've been lying to everybody, we're not phony. And so this brings us logically to the fifth step. Admitted to God to ourselves and other human beings the exact nature of our wrong. This is the first step that puts God in the first slot. Now, we're above all else trying to establish a new attitude and a relationship with our Creator and discover the obstacle in our path. And then AA tells us if we do not take and use this vital step, we may not overcome drinking. And then being alone with God doesn't seem as embarrassing as talking over another human being. We find the same old egoism is with us. And if we're going to live a reasonably comfortable, happy, and Serene, sober life, the time now comes where we have to be honest with another human being. So once again, we find a logical sequence. If we've looked at ourselves as A suggested, we look at ourselves. And now it makes sense to do something about what we've found wrong. Now, if we've already taken the fourth step, we've already fulfilled the first and second requirements of the fifth step. So now we come to one of the oldest truths in the world, a trouble shared is a trouble cut in half. Now, to admit our wrongs to another human being may sound like an insurmountable obstacle, but actually it is really simple if we do it a A's way and want to stay sober more than anything else in this world. Now, any member of Alcoholics Anonymous taking the fifth step in their life can usually show the way. Doesn't mean that we farmers sit down with someone and say, I've done wrong in the following manner, and et cetera, et and first I've been this and that and that. If that were the method used, AA would not be the great recovery program and fellowship that it is today. Now, the sponsor, if the sponsor has taken a fifth step in their life, one is always safe in Alcoholics Anonymous when one asks one to be their sponsor. If the one who needs a sponsor asks who he has chosen tell me how you are living all twelve steps. Sit down and tell me. Yeah. Very difficult to give away something we don't possess ourselves. This is why I'm talking about opinions, not experience. Well, now, Because here's the thing, a member will pay the way by first what, telling his or her story. And then the newcomer is amazed at the frankness and at the ease in which the member tells of usually unmentioned escapades. How they'll talk, some of them, how rotten they acted maybe towards their families. Or some, not all, spend a little time in jails or institutions of dishonesties, lies, or substitutes, the whole sorry picture. And one or two conversations like this, and the newcomer will begin to unburden himself. And things that the newcomer thought they would never tell a living soul begin to come out. And as they share these innermost secrets, their mind now becomes unburdened by the terrific weight they've been carrying. Or in other words, you literally get your troubles off your chest. And one of the chief reasons for drinking was to drink to forget. And it starts to begin to disappear. And it is this point that real sobriety begins. I firmly believe that no alcoholic can be safe unless we have emburdened ourselves. And then once we do we feel that we belong. You bet. And begin to chair a meeting, begin to talk a little bit. And then now feel they're becoming a full-fledged member because this is the first step in our book into action. Into action. Now, I told you I was 43 days sober. My sponsor said, You be down there the next Wednesday. I'm 51 days sober and Alcoholics Anonymous. I go down there. He says to me, Have you taken the first two parts of the fifth step before you've gotten down here? And he knew that I wasn't experienced enough to know what he was talking about. He knew that I didn't know that I'd already admitted to God in the third step and to myself in the fourth step. Now I'm going to come down to him in the fifth step. He knew that. Then he says to me, You're going to do it. I said, what are you talking about? You're going to do it. He said, now you go into the men's room and you lock the door. And then you go into the commode and lock the door to the commode, get between the commode and the wall, look up at the ceiling, admit the exact nature of your wrongs to God, and then come back and come to the sink. And right above the sink there's a mirror, admit the exact nature of your wrongs to you, and unlock the door to the men's room, come in here and tell it to me. And I thought, he's nuts. Gone. I get there, he says, now don't you stay in that men's room three days telling God who, when, for how much, and for how long. You tell God what your defects of character have done to your life that you wrote, if you wrote, I'm seeing your four step, but I'm fixing to find out if you wrote it. The effects of what your defect of character, did, not while you're drinking. Because if you don't do anything now while you're not drinking... They're gonna drive you right back to that bottle. And you'll have no mental defence against that first drink. Period. Because your mind is unmanageable. That's where you're thinking is. Well, I went in the men's room and locked the door. When the commode felt like a fool, it's just a one holer, who's gonna be in there? But I was afraid not to do what he told me. He'd like to have a hole in the ceiling. to be up there peeking through, see if I'm done. So I get between the commode, and I look up. I admit the exact nature of my wrongs to me. Unlock the commode, come around the sink, look in the mirror, admit the exact nature of my wrongs to me. And guess what? I caught me not telling me what I told God in the corner. I said, well, I've told God one thing, me one thing. What am I going to tell him? So I run back into the commode and get it over again. Come back to the sink, and it sounded about the same. Before I could change it, I unlocked the door, ran in there. And he said, are you ready? I said, I'm ready. I told the secretary to cut the car off. And then he said to me, how many times did you go in the corner? I said, two times. He said, I went three. <laughs> he said, now, I didn't tell you to do that because my sponsor did to me. David, the reason I told you to do that is you go around here and you tell us. This one a part of your rotten story and that one a part of your rotten story and that one a part of your rotten story. That's what's called spreading the dirty linen. That's what you call spreading the disease. And then you live to run into somebody and said, Ah, oh, David, I don't even believe you're that bad, and then you're to run into somebody, and said, David, I don't even believe you're an alcoholic. Well, God's here, you're here, I'm here. Let's get with it. And it did. When he got through. He said, How do you feel? I said, I feel better than I ever have in my life. It's the first time that I ever told another human being without fear or shame or guilt. And folks, some of the things that I did was not, 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 nice. I'm talking about manslaughter. I'm talking about things like that. Well, and I says, you know, you laughed with me, you cried with me, You didn't pick up the phone and call the police and say, I've got it. You didn't call somebody to come get me with a butterfly net. You nodded your head. Do you understand? And then he said to me, well, what are you going to do about it? All you've done is talk about it. When you leave here, the effects of, of your life and everything you talk about is going with you out the door. What are you going to do with it? I said, that's what I have you for, a sponsor. This is what I meant a while ago. He said, I'll tell you what you do. You go home. You get the book of Alcoholics Anonymous. You get the book of Alcoholics Anonymous, and you turn to the last paragraph of the fifth step in the sixth chapter. Do exactly what it said. Then turn the page. Read the next two short paragraphs. And if it, takes you more than ten minutes to take steps six and seven, you ain't ready to let AA, which is nothing more than God is going to do for you, what you can't do for yourself. You still want to play games. Now, he said, we're talking about living and we're dying. To drink is is to die and to stay sober is to live. And so I start going out the door. He comes after me again. He said, now you be back down there next Wednesday. At 8 o'clock, I said, what for? To take the fifth step over? He says, no. No. With your eighth step list. Now, I'll tell you, if you've got a sponsor like that in Alcoholics Anonymous, feed them, fan them, pray they don't die prematurely or get drunk. It'll be the greatest experience you ever had in your life. Yeah. He cared that much about me. I went home. I got my big book done. This is one step tells us exactly what to do after we've talked over another human being. Yeah. And it said returning home we find a place where we can be quiet for an hour, carefully reviewing what we have done. We thank God from the bottom of our heart that we know him better. Remember I said we're above all else trying to establish a new attitude and a new relationship with our Creator? How many have come to AA raised in some sort of Belief that God is a punishing God. I told him all these ugly things. God didn't come down and smoke me with lightning. I found out something that God was working through my sponsor. And the only reason he was there was for his sobriety, and the next reason he was there for my welfare unselfish. A tremendous busy man. That I know him better. And how did I begin to know God better? You need to change the tape? Ask me. Yeah, it's about that. Huh? Four minutes? And so, and I've had to understand God through you people. You had the experience, yeah. It's through people, through people. And so it says, taking the book down from the shelf, we turn to the pages containing the twelve steps. Carefully reading the first five proposals, we ask ourselves: Have we omitted anything? For we are building an ark through which we shall walk a free man at last. Now, it helps if you're not drinking alcohol. We need to take the fifth step in alcoholics. No. <laughs> but building an ark to be what? Free of our own stinking selves. This is what we're doing. Then we ask, is it work solid so far? Are the stones properly in place? Have we skimped on the cement put in the foundation? Have we tried to make martyr without sand? If we can answer to our satisfaction, then we can look at step six. Step six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. I wonder how many in AA, when they read the steps, look at it, realize that the sixth step is the only step of the twelve that's in the present tense, which means we do it every day. These defects of character, not those, but these. Now, what is the sixth step? Quality of our willingness. Are we now willing to let God remove from us all the things that we have found that are objectionable? Can he take them all? If we still cling and hold on to something, and will not let go. We simply ask him to make us willing to let go. There isn't one of us in this meeting right this very second, right here. Every one of us know what we still cling to and won't quite let go. It'll be the only thing that causes us lack of peace of mind on any one given day and serenity. So it's the quality of our willingness. Now, before I come to you people, I would pray, God, get me out of this jam, and I promise you I'll never do it again. But never did I say, God, get me out of this jam, but please show me a way to stay out of this jam. I never did that. The seventh step is to wait. Humbly ask Him to remove our shortcomings. When we're ready to let God do it to us and with and for us, and maintain sanity that we don't want to live the way we used to live, but we're condemned to live the way we used to live unless we don't go on to get.